Hello and welcome to our Health and Wellness Navigation Program podcast series. Today, we will be discussing transitions and aging in place. I am Michelle Kramer, Director of Health and Wellness Programming with LCS Health Services Division. Joining me is Kathy Jokey, Director of Health Services at the Heritage at Brentwood. Welcome, Kathy. Well, thank you very much for having me, Michelle. So, Kathy, the goal for all communities is for each resident to live to their optimal level of health and wellness by identifying and meeting their needs in a way that they can remain as independent, healthy, productive, and safe as possible. What is the health and wellness navigator's role in supporting residents at risk in the independent living setting? Well, that's a great question, Michelle. It's really important for the navigator to reach out to any resident who is identified as having concerns, who's ill, or their needs are not being met. The navigator helps at-risk residents to identify their limitations and communicate you know, their concerns so that we can get a plan of care that can be devised to assist them with options. And then that way, their needs can be met. I agree that the goal really is for the residents to live their optimal level of health and wellness. And that we think we feel is accomplished by getting their needs met in a way that they really remain as independent, productive, and safe as they possibly can. I totally agree with you. As our goal is to achieve a better life through better living. What strategies can the health and wellness navigator use to reduce risks and improve outcomes if a resident prefers to age in place? You know, Michelle, we often get asked that question, and it's extremely important that the resident be assessed by, you know, doctors, specialists, therapy, or other health care professionals so that a clinical diagnosis and a prognosis can be made. It's really important that all parties are involved and, you know, that they have a clear understanding of the challenges and whether these issues are going to be short term or long term. So we can establish realistic expectations on how those needs can be met. So, Kathy, what specifically should be considered? Well, let's see. We consider whether the challenging issue the resident is dealing with is a short term problem like recovering from a knee replacement, or a chronic deteriorating diagnosis like Alzheimer's or Parkinson's. And in that case, that would require ongoing support. So once that is established, then we can provide resources to support the resident's needs, such as referrals to oh specialists and support groups, companion care, Maybe they need medical equipment and so forth. You know, the goal here is that the resident doesn't struggle in independent living and that they remain safe. When I offer resources to help support a resident with their needs, I really try to offer like multiple options so that they have choices and can make their own decisions. And so we, we are always there and we're always an advocate to support them. Kathy, would you take us through a typical process communities go through to help residents make the best choices? Absolutely. I am usually alerted when a resident is ill or has a concern. 
If they're ill, uh, I encourage a doctor's visit right away to rule out some like active infections and to assess their health needs. Sometimes the doctor will they'll order tests or lab work. Sometimes therapy is indicated for strengthening or speech to evaluate cognitive abilities. I find it's really worked for me that if you can show a resident and then the family documented results from tests, therapy sessions, doctor's notes, it really helps the resident and family see a valid documentation to confirm a diagnosis or, you know, to see the deficit or the problem that's going on. I totally agree with you. That's really important. Health and wellness navigators use their new navigation dashboard to document all these events, referrals, and touch points that you're speaking of with the navigator, which can be sorted to tell the story of what is happening with the resident to show the resident and the family. Yes. Yep. And we get the test results and the information collected and then we meet with the resident and the family and the community team. And then at that time, we'll, we'll develop plans of care that are based on the clinical finding, not just somebody's opinion. You don't want that. Once the limitations or the problems are identified, the next step is to get the resident access to that additional support to meet those needs. Sometimes that's making a referral to home health or outpatient therapy, perhaps, um, maybe a fitness program, counseling, companion service, support groups. Wow, that's a lot. So that is so true. In reality, we all appreciate those options. Yes, we providing options really is important so that the resident can really remain as independent as possible for as long as possible, but yet they still feel in control. You know, like one option, for instance, we have a preferred non-medical caregiver company on our campus, and they will provide like really small increments of care to a resident. We find that just putting in even a little extra help sometimes may be all the help that a person needs to remain safe and independent. Sometimes really starting small and then reassessing as, as a resident's needs change, that, that's important. I have a saying, do they need more or less? Let's reassess to ensure success. I love that saying. That is a great process. You know, Michelle, it's so important to have clear and open, honest communication with the resident and the family. Because, I mean, let's face it, some of our discussions can get hard. Like when, it, when is the time to give up the car keys or when is it indicated for a transition to another level of care? So they need, you know, what they really need to know and believe is that you're their advocate all the time and that you always have their best interest at heart. It goes a long way when they know you well enough and they can trust you. And that takes time to build that. You know, those relationships with your residents and your families, it, it takes time. I totally agree with you. And it really is important to be more proactive than reactive, not waiting for that emergency that happens with these residents, right? 
Right. So how can navigators understand how to balance resident needs and preferences with community-specific goals and requirements? Well, every community has rules. I mean, you know, we have to have rules and regulations, and we strongly promote aging in place. But you are, you're, you're really correct. It certainly takes a balancing between making sure a resident is appropriate and independent and can manage living safely and independent long living along with providing support and options so that the resident can make choices about their care. I, I often will refer the residency agreement when trying to explain our policies and procedures because I think that it, it'll encourage open and honest communication in return. Uh, ultimately, really, our goal is that the resident is safe and healthy and in getting their needs met and they're not struggling. That's the goal. So we want them to live at their optimal level of health and wellness for as long as possible. So, Kathy, you spoke a few times about the resident, family, loved ones, and the community staff working together. What does a robust collaborative care process look like? Well, let's see. Typically, a resident becomes ill, you know, or they have an incident. Maybe they had surgery. They require a hospital stay. And then they're discharged to our health center for a recuperative stay or a skilled stay. Shortly after being admitted to the health center, uh, we arrange a care plan meeting and all the parties are invited to participate, the resident, their family, therapy, nursing, social work, activities, dietary, including myself, the health and wellness navigator. Our goal is that we look at the big picture and discuss the resident's diagnosis, their needs, progress they've made while they've been over there. And then as a collaborative team, we formulate a plan with the resident and their family to meet their present and future needs. It is really so important to have that collaboration with the community team, the resident, and the loved ones. What process do you go through when a resident needs to transition, but they do not want to? Yes, that's challenging. Many factors come into account when a resident needs more care or another level of care, and yet they're in denial on their condition. It's definitely, we look at it as a process. Sometimes it takes small steps to accomplish big changes. I really agree. This is a sensitive issue. It is, and I I will really start by saying we really need to have patience and to have understanding and empathy with our residents and families because Until we've really walked in their shoes, we really don't know how they feel. I start by by taking the steps of identifying the resident's needs and what their limitations are. We like to meet with the resident and the family and then identify all these issues and then figure out how best to meet those needs and determine what support the resident has available. Everybody's support is, you know, it's different. If a resident does not want to transition to another level of care, but say they're willing to put in care, maybe even up to 24-7 in their home, then that is their choice and their right to do that. As long as they can show their needs are being met and they are safe residing in independent living with support, 
A resident can age in place all the way through the end of life, even with hospice. So at what point do we get the family involved? How do we secure consent from the resident to inform the family and loved ones? You know, that's a really great question, Michelle. When an issue has been identified with a resident, I I will meet with them first one-on-one. And then if during that meeting, it's pretty evident that the resident is not going to take the necessary steps to rectify the situation, or they're needing more help to make decisions and formulate a plan, well, that's when I'll tell them, I'm going to reach out to your son or your daughter for some additional ideas and support. I try to state it in a very casual way. I'll always tell the resident first, you know, I I will be calling your family. I provide the resident, you know, again, with the reasons we we feel that it's necessary to inform them. And, you know, they don't always like it, but I have not had them refuse. Kathy, what are the cues that the resident is not able to live in independent living any longer and a transition must be made? Well, I I think that falls back on the residency agreement. In, in In our residency agreement, it says only when a resident is identified as being a harm to self or others and is really considered unsafe residing in their independent living home. That is when we can intervene and then really require a resident to arrange care to meet their needs so that they can remain in their independent living home and live safely on the campus. Oftentimes, you know, you'll see that a resident starts forming a pattern. They're, they're having repeat emergency call, calls or falls or incident reports. So when is the right time to have that difficult conversation? So, again, it's, it's kind of like whenever a resident is deemed unsafe. If they're ill, maybe they've been witnessed struggling, they're found wandering in independent living, well, then it's really time to intervene and start those conversations. If there is an ongoing problem or multiple incidents, again, providing that written documentation to the resident and the family in regards to the problem is really extremely helpful. When, you know, when you're presenting your case, we do those incident reports anytime a a resident reaches out for help. Of course, it's best to intervene early on, always early on to provide a resident support. Early intervention, almost always, you know, we find is easier in meeting goals and will always have the best outcomes in maintaining an independent living for, you know, as long as they can. Kathy, what are some strategies that you would provide to our listeners about a proactive approach to transitions and aging in place? Well, I, you know, thank you, Michelle. I, I always make an effort to be available to the residents with an open door policy so that they really feel comfortable contacting me whenever they feel the need. I think we need to realize that every resident and family situation is unique. You know, even if you think you've heard it before, you haven't heard it before. Take the time to listen and really understand what's going on. It's really, really important to reach out to professionals for 
clinical diagnosis and testing. I like to have documentation to support issues that we have identified. And it's just, again, it's just not any one person's opinion. It's really hard for anyone to dispute or disagree when there are clinical findings. You know, I I also like to ask the resident for permission to include family for input and support. But I I do that in a casual, non-threatening way. And I always try to be an advocate and whenever possible, provide choices so that the resident has options. Always be honest with them no matter what, you know, open and honest. They might not always like what you're saying or what they're hearing, but if they can trust you, then they will believe you. Be patient with them. You know, I I think that's so important that we show empathy and realize it's a difficult situation accepting limitations and having to lose our independence. You know, we don't want to tell them you know how they feel because you really don't know how they feel. And finally, nothing, nothing stays the same. Our lives constantly change and no plan lasts forever. So don't forget to reassess to continue success with any plan. I still love that quote from you. Don't forget to reassess to continue to success. Thank you so much for sharing your expertise and strategies for success on transitions and aging in place with us. Well, thank you so much, Michelle. It was a pleasure. This has been a presentation from the Health and Wellness Navigation Program podcast series. Let's achieve a better life through better living.